0: Hello, hello, hello. I'm Jan Goldstein, and this is All That Matters, our weekly podcast of positivity. And I'm positively thrilled that you're here today. And to all our listeners around the globe, we are so excited to explore life with you in this 2023. And we are entering into our 122nd episode. So hard to believe this all began back in the midst of the pandemic. And here we are today. And I took the title, as I've said before, from my first novel that uh, was published by Hyperion. Uh, There was a Book of the Month Club pick and uh, that received such beautiful uh, praise from Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen, uh, called it a book for anyone who's ever doubted that love can heal, or little old ladies can be heroes, and uh, the late great Richard Carlson, such an incredible man and inspiration, said, called it Miraculous, Jan Goldstein's life-affirming, heartbreaking, disarmingly funny first novel will be the best cry of the year. What a sweet thing to say, and I do believe that you will laugh and that you will cry when you read this novel. And if you've already read it, perhaps you'll return to it. It is a story that came from personal experience of a student of mine who did commit suicide and I never saw it coming and I've talked about her before but it, it was absolutely astonishing to each and every one of us she was to all of us who knew her whether we knew her well from school and classes and friendships or tangentially everyone didn't see it coming and that is very possible her parents did not see it coming. She wrote them a, uh, really, a beautiful and heartbreaking letter and said, it it wasn't you, and this is something I need to do. Why she needed to do it, I don't know. To this day, I don't know. But it shook something inside of me. Who could have reached her? Who could have um, connected in some place in her who might have interceded that might have shown her the beauty or the meaning or the purpose or how her life might add up to continuing as opposed to ending. And that's really was at the basis of my thoughts about my first novel, All That Matters, was really, as I talked about last week, was really about... Every once in a while, there is a person who enters your life or stakes a claim inside of your life in a way that alters the course of your life and deepens it and infuses it with meaning or points a direction for you. And I had to come to terms with why this young woman's life added up to death And I think each and every one of us wants meaning, wants purpose, needs to be renewed, or we need to renew ourselves. And I wanted to write a novel that might suggest who might intercede, perhaps the person you least expect, and who might have a story to tell. And what I really wanted to say was something that became sort of the blurb that Hyperion put out about the novel, which was, a young woman who believes she has nothing to live for, an old woman with little time to live, what can they possibly learn from each other? Because I think at different stages of our life, we have different gifts to give to one another. And I want you to take time this week to find out or to contemplate what those gifts are. In fact, this novel originally was called The Gift, and I later changed it to All That Matters. But it was originally called The Gift because I think there is a gift given by the older woman, the grandmother, the bubby, the the nana. In my family, we called... Our grandmother might my, my mom called her grandmother nana, so nana became the term I used in this in this novel, but it might have been Bubby or it might have been Grandma or Grammy or whatever. but I wondered what she had to give the younger generation, which obviously is her rich experience and her very personal experience, and what the younger generation could give her. I had spent, and I've talked about it in the past, but I've spent a number of years in education where I brought young people to home for the elderly. And I was always blown away by not only how excited the elderly were to see these young people, they were the groups we used to visit. I mean, they would just come alive, it was electric. But it worked the other way as well. And I think that was the silver lining that when I first proposed this program, no one had seen, which was that the young people, the the, the teenage students had a lot to learn. And that when the elderly realized they actually had something of worth to pass on, as a, as opposed to feeling, I'm done, I'm over, I have nothing left, but to see that it was meaningful. I remember one old gentleman, elderly gentleman, telling this young boy who was talking to him about his background, and the boy, he kept asking the young boy about his life. And finally, I encouraged them to talk to the elderly, what about your life? And tell me about your life. And turns out this guy was an outfielder for the Detroit Tigers. I mean, like back in the 40s or something. It was just phenomenal. Uh, someone else, uh, uh, another woman, uh, had broken through a color barrier. Uh, uh, another woman had become the first professor at her uh, university in such and such a field. I can't remember right now, but she was she was the first, and she was the first woman who did it. So... They, they were meeting people, and then people were just talking about their families and how they had raised them and the accomplishment of it all, and they connected with one another. So I created this story when I struggled with who could possibly teach this young woman in her early 20s who was a, at attempted suicide, could possibly teach... and show her what meaning was and what purpose was and to alter, to reframe her life so that it didn't end up to ending, that she could see the path for herself. And I thought this would be somebody who had seen the worst of humanity and that would be someone who had gone through the Holocaust in my experience. Who had been through that, the worst humanity had, the worst evil in the world, and had found the ability to go on, had found the ability to live, indeed had heightened a a sense of the preciousness of life. And so I created a grandmother that that I never knew. I never knew my grandmother on on my dad's side. Um, and I created out of those I've met in the past and out of my own sense of stories that I had heard from others and my own sense of what that might mean to this young woman. And that is the story of all that matters, how an elderly woman on her last legs in life Hears that her granddaughter has attempted suicide out in California. Gets up out of her sickbed. Comes out and steals her from the psychiatric ward. And takes her on a journey across America to help her fall in love with life. And that story I called All That Matters. I wanted to share one chapter with you this week. I had stopped last week where this elderly grandmother realizes that her granddaughter who had already attempted suicide in LA has disappeared into Central Park where this grandmother lives in New York City she had brought her back to New York to spend time with her and realizes she's gone that that certain drugs may be with her that could help her commit suicide and struggles to get over to Central Park from her brownstone. And when she gets there, is so out of breath and so incapable body-wise of racing through the park to look, but she feels she knows where her granddaughter is. She knows this one place where she could find her. But she can't make it there, not on her legs. And she grabs hold of a young man, a young student, and looks at his legs and knows that she needs his legs. And she tells him to bend down, and she clambers onto his back and tells her her granddaughter's life is in the balance. Run, she says, run like the wind. And this guy suddenly sees this elderly woman who's clambered onto his back, but she speaks with such authority and such passion that he does it. And I pick up chapter 17 of All That Matters and share it with you this week. The story of what happens next. The bewildered young man bore his wheezing burden as best he could in the direction of Belvedere Castle in Central Park. Carefully picking his way down a set of stairs at the fountain of the Angel of Bethesda, he arduously galloped up the hill by the Central Park boathouse and hurtled down a pathway lined with flaming maple and silver poplar along the way he wondered who the hell the madwoman on his back was her cough in his ears her rain boots digging into his ribs this whole thing was positively insane he told himself his lungs were on fire his sides ached and he was going to miss the mandatory morning lecture at nyu and yet something about Gabby's determination told him the dangers she spoke of was all too real. Struggling to cover ground, the bedraggled fellow managed to gasp out tidbits about himself in an attempt to normalize the situation. Names, Charlie, Charlie Sosny, from Vermont, a law student at NYU. Gabby gripped his neck tightly so as not to fall off, nearly strangling him in the process. Charlie came to understand from the information she breathed into his ear that her troubled granddaughter was depressed and in danger of taking her life, that this mission they were on was a desperate gamble. You remind me of my grandmother, he shouted back, died last year. She was... Suddenly heading down a short hill, his voice bouncing with every step. A fighter like you! As they paused for traffic winding through the park, Charlie gasped for air, sweat streaming down his face. Gabby did her best to blot up the sweat with her sleeve as they jolted forward across the road. Suddenly, Charlie's foot caught on the curb, sending them lurching forward. Miraculously, he regained his legs. The castle appeared up ahead. Close to exhausted, Charlie carried Gabby up the promontory of Vista Rock. Gabby scanned the landscape ahead. There was no sign of Jennifer. Could her hunch have been wrong? As they reached the castle grounds, Charlie slowed, his breathing ragged. Gabby tapped him on the shoulder and slid it to the ground. Her body was weak from exertion, but she pushed forward. Come with me, she said, moving as quickly as her flagging legs could carry her. The two side by side down one open air corridor and around a group of Japanese tourists, Gabby's heart pounding with fear. Charlie found himself caught up in the mission into which he'd been drafted, wanting to find the mystery woman, praying desperately that this Don Quixote of a grandmother would find her search rewarded. Turning a corner along the promenade by the castle wall, Gabby stopped suddenly, Charlie in her wake nearly bumping into her. Then before them, sitting atop the stone railing overlooking Turtle Pond, sat Jennifer. For a moment, Gabby stood transfixed at the sight of her granddaughter. Charlie, too, could not take his eyes off the delicate young woman poised above the water's edge. Then, as if sensing their presence, Jennifer slowly looked up. Nana! She uttered in disbelief. "Who?" She looked at the sweaty young man by Gabby's side, confused. Gabby approached Jennifer, trembling, unsure of what to say. I thought I might not see you again, Madeleine. I didn't know where. Her voice faltered as she searched for the right words. I had to find you and this nice young man, like a horse, he carried me. But you're here. You didn't. She broke off her hands muffling her cry. No, Jennifer said softly, drained of emotion. I wanted to, but I I kept seeing your face, Nana. She looked directly into her grandmother's eyes. But this place, how did you know? Jennifer asked, seeking to make sense of it all. Nana's job is to know, darling, Gabby whispered. Not ten feet away, the tired young jogger watched in silence, moved, and full of questions himself. Gabby took Jennifer by the hand and beckoning to Charlie to follow, led her dazed granddaughter out of the park. I hope that you'll continue. Log on to jamgoldstein.com Log on to Amazon, order All That Matters if you're interested. And know that this novel helped inspire this podcast. And may you make a new connection this week. And may you continue to find the gifts in life that matter. Until next week, I'm Jan Goldstein. And this is All That Matters.